0: I want to invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. We've got a, a few more, a couple more weeks at least, that we're spending in, uh, in Exodus. We are in Exodus 32, chapter 32 this morning. So the second book of the Bible, Exodus 32. We're going to begin in verse 15 of Exodus 32. You know, as I mentioned last week, we've come to one of those passages here in the Bible, that it stands out because it brings us great clarity in how to deal with a particular doctrine or truth of Scripture. And you know, we find that often as we go through Scripture. There's, there's a certain passage there that really helps us to have an understanding about this particular truth. And in this case, it is a very important doctrine, the doctrine of sin. Uh, and so we spent some time on it last week. This is the passage that's looking at uh, where the people make and they worship the golden calf. Uh, and so we'll take that passage and we'll finish it up this week as, as we use it to think through what does it mean uh, in our own lives when we have sinned against the Lord Yet we are a part of His people. That's what we see in this passage. The uh, Israelites, they're they're a part of God's people, and yet there's this sin. Not just any sin, but what we might call a heinous sin. And so we want to see and understand that, because every one of us deal with sin in our lives on a regular basis. If we really know it, then it's on a daily basis. Now, what we've got to come to grips with, I think, as we look at this passage and and others like it, is that the Christian life isn't easy. You know, what a wonderful thing that we have, uh, that when we trust in Christ, we find forgiveness, full forgiveness of our our sins, meaning that, that there is no condemnation, that we will continue on and be together with the Lord we will live with him eternally there's forgiveness but it doesn't mean that we're not going to have sin struggles and it doesn't mean that the Lord is simply going to overlook it in our lives as we live our lives actually there's a sense in which the opposite is true we can know in some way that as we live our lives and and we sin, we turn away from the Lord, we don't obey His law, uh, it means that our sin is going to be called out. (laughs) And God has certain ways of doing that, of calling it out, so that we've got to deal with it. We can't just ignore it. We can't just go on in our our lives and uh, ignore it altogether. This passage helps us to see that sin is never to be considered lightly. It's never to be considered as something minor in the life of the believer. You know, We're at a, at a point in our passage in which we had heard, we heard this last week, what the, what the people who were down in the valley below had begun doing, even as Moses was up on the mountain. And remember what was happening. Moses was receiving, he was in, inside the cloud on the top of the mountain. He was receiving from God instructions on how to build the temple, or or the the tabernacle of God. And remember what the tabernacle was all about. It's all about the people, God's people being reconciled together with Him. Uh, Yet down below, what was happening, we we heard, because God told Moses what was happening. With all the people who were down below, the Israelites, they were following Aaron. Aaron was there to to lead them and they were failing to trust in the Lord and they were sinning. They had made, developed a a golden calf for them to, to use in their worship. Think about this though, the very thing that would drive them apart from God, away from God. Think about the irony. Yet God was up on the mountain, or Moses was up on the mountain, receiving from God instructions for the tabernacle designed to bring the people together with God. And meanwhile, they were doing all they could to drive themselves apart from God. And we saw last week that as a result, as as the Lord explained what was happening to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, Because of this, I am going to disown and destroy my people. And I'm going to start again with a line from you, Moses, a new line of descendants. But we saw also that Moses stood up and he interceded for the people. And the last words that we read in the passage last week, these are Exodus 32, verse verse 14. The last words, wonderful words. And the Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing on His people. We talked last week about how He didn't change His mind. There wasn't that. Uh, but he, he, he desired that Moses would stand in the gap, and, and Moses did for the people. But think about those wonderful words there. Words of forgiveness. That there would be no condemnation for all those, and we talked about this last week, all those who would believe out of this, this group. And so now in today's passage, we're going to see what happens when Moses now, remember he's just heard about this up on the mountain from the Lord, but now he's going to take his young assistant Joshua and he's going to come down the mountain. And we're going to see what happens when he sees and experiences the sin that's happening down there. So uh, again, a uh, little little lengthy. I'm going to read beginning in verse 15 of Exodus 32, verse 15, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a the noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory Or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near to the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you, that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about three thousand men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today, you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one of you, at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You uh, that as we go through Your Word, You... Use it to open our eyes, to better see You, to better see ourselves, better see our relationship with You. You as holy, us as sinful, and yet, yet, us able to be in relationship with You. Therefore, Lord, we see that we we need to know, we need to understand how to deal with that which stands between You and us. And that is our sin. And in different ways, you open up your word to us and you show us how we are to deal with that. And you've done that in this passage. And so we pray for your help this morning that you would bring this clearly, bring us clarity here. Uh, Help us to see, help us to understand, Lord, that we might live as your people, greater and greater dedication to you and more and more together with you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You know, many years ago, uh, back when I, I was a fairly new believer, I was about 34 years of age when I came to faith, uh, and I, I had begun at one point to listen regularly to a particular pastor on the radio. And he wasn't—it wasn't a pastor that was uh, maybe widely known by a, a lot of people, but it was a pastor in Texas, and I really came to identify with his. His uh, messages. He, he had a great love for God's word, and he spoke clearly from it, and it really ministered to me. And uh, so, I was listening regularly to messages from him. And I remember there was a particular time he was going through First Peter, and First Peter had come to mean a great deal to me because of a couple of things in my, in my life. And so, I was listening to that series on First Peter. And one day, I came into information, I think I was it was on the internet or something, uh, information about this pastor. Now, the, the messages I had been listening to were a couple of years old, maybe three years prior to that, he had been preaching them. But the information that I received was that since that time, this pastor had had an affair with a woman, and he had left his wife, and he had left his two younger sons uh, who both had, they were physically challenged. And he went, and he lived together with this, uh, the other woman that he had the affair with. And at the same time, when the affair came out, he left the church where he had been pastoring. And he went back to a prior career. He had been a a tennis pro, and so he, he went back into that, that line of work of teaching teaching tennis, and here I was in the middle of First Peter, listening to this series of messages and, and, and i 'll tell you, I, I tried for a time period. I tried to listen to these messages, the messages that had been so valuable to me and, and worked upon me. Uh, the, the Lord had used so much even the, the day before, but here I am now listening to them and I learned that I couldn't. I couldn't listen to them and, and have it, uh, it, God's Word applied to me through them. I couldn't grow through them. And you know, in thinking about it, the reason that I couldn't continue with these sermons, it wasn't simply that this man had, had sinned. It wasn't even that he had sinned grievously. But, really, what really affected me was that we get this time span when he had preached the messages and today when I was finding out about him, and and years had gone by, and yet he had continued in this lifestyle. He had continued walking away from the Lord, going his own way. Now, Sin, even grievous sin, grievous sin doesn't disqualify someone from ministry necessarily. Think about King David and his sin. but with this man, I couldn 't continue listening. Uh, but I can tell you one thing that I knew for certain, uh, and that was that God was going to be in at work in the life of this man, if at any point he had trusted in Christ, and certainly it seemed to me to be the case, he he seemed to be preaching the gospel, then God, if that were the case, then God was going to bring out his sin, and he was going to go through a struggle as he saw his sin before him. Now, as for me, I I couldn't see what was happening with him, with the small window I had into his life. But I was just certain that that's what God would be doing. And, you know, that's what we see in this passage we're looking at this morning. You may have wondered, as, we, as I read through this passage, you may have wondered why all of this, uh, why you know, Moses shattering the Ten Commandments at the base of the mountain, And then taking the the golden calf and uh, grinding it into powder, throwing it into their water source, making the people drink it. And then 3,000 men lost their lives at the hands of the Levites over this. And then we see right there at the end, the Lord sent a plague on the people and some number of them died through this plague that was sent. And so you may have been asking, why all of this When we just read, back in verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing upon this people. Well, the answer is that even though the Lord, out of His his mercy and out of His covenant with them, even though He said there would be forgiveness and there would be freedom from condemnation for this people, and we talked about it last week, For those out of this people who believed, but that didn't mean that there weren't consequences for their sin, as is always the case with sin in our lives. And you may be able to think of a a particular incident, sin in your own life or in that of someone else, that has carried forward consequences, even though. Perhaps this is a person or maybe you have trusted in Christ and you know that you have forgiveness, but the consequences remain. And I would just say, thank the Lord for that because once you're in a relationship with Him and you suffer the consequences for sin, no matter how painful they are, but He's using your sin for good. He's using your sin and the consequences from it to purify you to grow you in relationship with Him, to grow you in holiness so that you might walk more and more in newness of life. You know, sometimes Christians do get confused and, and they think that, you know, after I've come to faith that this, that this time of sanctification is supposed to be immediate, uh, that maybe we do sin, but, but we confess our sin. And... Immediately, God just makes everything right. Everything that was affected by it, it's right then. So, relationships with our children that were affected, or or our husband, our wife that were affected, our church, maybe our situation at work, that all of it just comes back into place immediately. And the truth is, it doesn't. Sin and the effects from it are real. Sin is is painful. Sin brings about brokenness and, and and harm into lives and it continues forward. And so there continues to be suffering as a result of sin. But let's be clear what the Lord does if you're in relationship with Him immediately. Confess your sin. Your sin is forgiven. Your sin is the guilt is taken as far as the East is from the West, yet we still have to deal with the effects of sin in our life. Sometimes the Lord uses it as discipline in our lives. Uh, Sometimes we just experience the scars that result from sin, but either way, it's called sanctification. And it's this ongoing work that God is doing in you and in me. And that's what this passage shows us. Is that this ongoing work of sanctification is very real and God does it in our lives. But as He does it, there's something that's required of us. And that is that daily, moment by moment, we must make the decision to choose God. You know, we often think about that right there at the very beginning. That we've got to trust in God. We've got to choose God. God, But it's not only there at the beginning, but daily, moment by moment, especially when it comes to our sin, that we've got to turn from that. And we've got to turn to the Lord. You know, we read earlier that passage out of uh, Matthew where Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. So what we've got to do is, is continually turn back. So that we are with the Lord. We've got to choose to be with Him. We've got to follow Him. Now, as you may have noticed in your own life, you can think of a particular area of, of sin. Often it's not so easy to make that turn back to the Lord. Yet, He has provided what we need. And for the believer, it must happen. It will happen. We must turn back. And so he's given us some steps there. He's given us a process, and we're going to look through a couple of those in this passage. Uh, and so, so turning to the Lord, following the Lord continually, which is what we need to do, it means, first of all, taking responsibility for your sin. And then secondly, it means putting Him first, putting the Lord first, putting Christ first, regardless of Of the cost. So first of all, taking responsibility for your sin, and then putting Him first regardless of the cost. So what does it mean to take responsibility for our sin? You've got to admit to wrong. You've got to say, I I did this, and it was me, and I sinned against you, and I recognize there are consequences that come from that. You've got to take that first step of admitting. Now, doing this requires that you recognize the seriousness of sin so that you feel the weight of your sin. You know, when Moses came down from the mountain, he already knew what the people had been doing in the valley below because God had already told him what they had been doing. He knew that weeks earlier, they had received the Ten Commandments verbally they knew the commandments, so they were responsible for them. And he knew already, before he came down, that they had broken the Ten Commandments. Remember last week, we write the heart of the Ten Commandments. They, in their worship, they had turned to another God. Uh, so he knew what they had done, yet when he came down from the mountain, he heard it. And he saw it. He heard their singing. He saw the golden calf at the center of their, 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 their heart and their attention and their worship. Uh, he must have heard loud, exuberant singing as he came down and saw dancing, even wild dancing, the word there says. This was worship, but it wasn't worship of the Lord God. And it says here that Moses' anger burned hot. You know, it uses the exact same words as we saw last week in in verse 10. For God's anger about this same uh, sin, God's anger burned hot. Moses' anger burned hot. This was was a righteous anger that Moses had. And and it's really very rare that we we know people can have a sinless anger, a righteous anger. It's very rare that we have that. Uh, But with Moses this was a righteous anger he saw how serious their sin was and he reacted with burning anger and so look at what he did right in front of them it says that he he took these two tablets this was the law God had written front and back it was written the hand of God he took the two tablets and he smashed them in front of them if you can imagine the scene and then right after that, he goes on and takes the, uh, the, the very object that they had made for their worship, this golden calf, and it says, He burned it with fire, he ground it to powder, and he scattered it upon the water, and he made the people of Israel drink it. Think about the scene there. Now, when he broke the, the, the two tablets of the commandments... This was symbolic. It was clearly symbolic. What had the people done? They, had, they knew God's covenant. They were in covenant relationship with God. But they had smashed it to smithereens with their sin. And so what does Moses do? He takes the sign of the covenant. And he smashes it to smithereens. And then, he causes the people to take internally, to take inside themselves... Their own making, their own sin, the object of their own sin. You know, they had to be able to see the seriousness of their sin. They couldn't miss it. You know, it was, uh, it was March 1989. That was 33 years ago. But I was uh, under a drill instructor in something like uh, boot camp. Uh, and we were just a matter of weeks from the end. We had been through this this camp and, and all the, the challenges and difficulties. Uh, we knew the rules well for the camp, and it was Saturday morning. I remember we had about uh, four or five weeks left. Saturday morning, and we were going to have liberty for the first time throughout the entire camp uh, because we were responsible now. And so there we were, the group of us, in the barracks. The door closed. And we had food scattered all over the place, which was not allowed at all. And we were cutting up, and guys were wearing T-shirts. We were supposed to be in uniform at all time, and, and name it one thing after another we were doing. But it was Saturday. We were about to have liberty. And then the door opened. And we saw the one person we never expected to see on a Saturday. Gunner Sergeant Holt, United States Marine Corps, and he had the angriest look on his face that I ever remember seeing on a human being before. And I, I'll i tell you from that point on that life as we knew it ended. We didn't get liberty. For the next three weeks, we didn't have liberty. And right at that moment, he made us do something. We were all shaking our heads. and 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 this was serious. He made us take all our mattresses off of our beds and take them outside. so we were wondering what's going on. And so for the next several hours, we did PT. We did push-ups. We did all kinds of PT with mattresses on our backs. And we almost died that day, I think. But by the end of it, we knew what we had done. We knew our wrongdoing. We knew the seriousness of what we had done. And I can guarantee you that every one of those men that were there, we we have a a memory of exactly uh, what we did and how serious it was. You know, taking responsibility for your sin means understanding the seriousness of it and owning it. it. It means that you feel the weight of it. Not all sins are equal. But you're responsible for knowing the weight of your own sin. You know, our conscience, if we listen to it honestly, it will help us to see and to know the weight of our own sin and the severity. You think about all the different areas, inappropriate relationships, greed, lust, slandering of other people, lying, uh, reading novels and and, and movies that we know are not the, the, the right thing that God would call us to, deceitful desires, on and on. All of this, God calls us to stop and to see the weight of our sin and to not continue in it. You know, the pastor that I mentioned earlier, if he had felt the weight of his sin and really known the grievousness of his sin, he would have been crushed under it. Or, he would have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and he would have opened up and said, I know the seriousness of what I have done of my own sin. You know, just as Moses completely destroyed the golden calf, we've got to destroy the sins that are lingering in our lives. We've got to recognize what they are. We need to call them out for what they are. And we need to feel the seriousness of our sin. We've got to destroy them in our lives and and show the Lord that we know how heinous they are. Putting a mark down and saying this is coming to an end. That's taking responsibility for your sin. And then one more thing about responsibility. It's, It's not only knowing the seriousness, but it's also openly admitting the sin, and admitting it for what it is and that it's ours. Remember how Aaron in this passage, how, how he, was, he was placed in charge of the people, therefore he had the greatest responsibility as the leader. And so the Lord used Moses to call him to account and to expose his sin. Look at verse 21. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin Upon them he called it out. He said this great sin. Now at this point, you can imagine the wheel's got to be turning in Aaron's mind. Maybe you've been there many times. You, you've been, your sin's been called out in some way. Yet the sinful heart hates to admit wrongdoing. You know, our, our minds and our hearts, they go into overdrive, to suppress the truth. That's what Romans chapter 1 tells us. And there are many ways of achieving this end, of suppressing the truth. And so, look at Aaron. He gives us a good example of a number of them. Well, first, verse 22, he's going to say, in essence, to Moses, "Don't, don't make such a big deal about this. Why are you getting so angry about this? What's he trying to do? He's trying to minimize the sin. And then secondly... This is probably familiar to us. This is a common tactic. He tries to shift the blame. He says, you know this people. You know that their hearts are set on evil. And here's what they said to me. It's this people. They're the ones who caused me to do this. Have you ever done that? you ever shifted blame to someone else? It's often the the, the younger ones among us that we see are so ready to do that right yet the older ones among us just have uh, better ways of hiding when we do that don't we that's another technique but uh, finally and this is the worst one of all Aaron tries to escape blame by telling an absurd lie you know he he says it it wasn't really it wasn't me who made the calf itself Uh, and look down at verse 24 He said, I I just told them to let me have all their, their gold and so they gave it to me. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. It's amazing. I don't even know myself how it happened. Out came this calf. But it wasn't me who did it. I didn't do it. All the way through, what's Aaron doing? He's refusing to deal honestly with his sin. But the only way forward is what? It's to admit... Your sin to make a full confession. You know, David said in Psalm 51, and we know what David's sin was yes, adultery, murder, lying, on and on. David said, Finally, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Notice, my transgressions, my sin against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that, you know, this is, this is my sin, so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment that I might receive the consequences that are due to me, and I deserve them. Well, that's, that's a full confession. There's no looking to anyone else. There's no trying to minimize it. You want to know how we can do that? Because I will say that's a hard thing. Ah. Uh, Because we've got many powerful forces in our lives that are working against us that that are trying to tell us to... No, you don't need to admit your sin. You don't need to confess it. You, You say this. Powerful forces suppressing the truth. So how can we do this? I'll tell you. When we know that we're already secure. When we know that we're already fully loved. When we know that His grace is greater than our greatest sin. It's only then that we're going to know I'm not going to lose myself by sharing what I'm really like, by sharing my shame. Because I know whose I am and I am secure in that relationship. And He is a God who does forgive. I'll have to live with the consequences of that sin. And others may as well. But... I know the Lord. It's out of that relationship. It's, it's out of knowing what, what Christ has done. Remember that, that verse, uh, it's Romans 5, 8. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were rebelling against Him, Christ died for us. You know, that is true right there at the very beginning. Christ died for us. But it's also true every step along the way. As we sin and as we turn from our sin, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died so that we can live together with Him. And when we know that, when we're certain of it, we're able to open up, to know the seriousness of our sin, to really admit to it, to feel the weight of it, and to confess it fully before the Lord and before others. So, first of all, choosing God means taking responsibility for your sin. Also, choosing God means putting Him first, regardless of the cost. You know, in dealing with sin, there's always a choice to be made. Have you noticed that when we sin? There's always a choice. after... After we sin, in the midst of it, there's always a choice that needs to be made. And I'll tell you, that choice does involve a cost. But I will also tell you, there's no middle ground. There's no neutrality. Uh, remember what we read earlier. Jesus' words, whoever is not with me is against me. He calls us to leave our sin behind and to follow full-heartedly, to follow Him, to cling to Him. Well, that's the next thing that we see it in our passage. You know, Moses has already dealt with the leader, the most responsible one, or who has the greatest responsibility, Aaron. But now he looks around, and he sees, as he sees the people, he sees that, as it says here in in verse 25, that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose. You know, all this is saying was that they were out of, out of control, they were unrestrained. Isn't that what sin does? When you sin and you continue in it, doesn't it give you a mindset of being unrestrained to where more and more things are, are, are brought in and, and you're less and less there. Remember what I said about with the drill instructor and he opened the room and one thing had led to another and we were a, a, an unrestrained group of people. That's what sin does. And that's what happened here. And this appears to be even after they've seen the seriousness of their sin. But they continue to remain out of control. And at the same time, when we're out of control and we're God's people, what does it do? It brings the name of Christ into disrepute. uh, And that's what we see here. It says, to the derision of their enemies. You can use the word laughingstock. They had become a laughing stock. The people said, They're God. They're just, they're no different than we are. Look at their lives. Look at their behavior. They weren't in awe of God because of what they saw, they were laughing. And so this has to be stopped. And so Moses stood at the gate. The gate is the place where, where people would gather together, they conduct, conduct business. And Moses says this He stands at the gate. You can imagine him standing there saying, who is on the Lord's side? Come to Me. The people had to make a choice. Were they going to remain in their sin? Or were they going to turn to the Lord and cling to Him? And that's the choice that always has to be made. Are you with God? Or are you against God? And yes, there is always a beginning point. Have you trusted Jesus? Or not? And that's the question that we ask as somebody joins the church. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you turned to Him by faith? That's the, the beginning point. And it's a very important beginning point. But that's not the end of it. Because again and again, daily, we're called upon to choose sides. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. You know, there, there's going to be temptations in our lives. We're going to fall but the question is, what do we do after that? Do we recognize sin's seriousness? You know, We're constantly called upon to make a stand for the Lord. And there's no middle ground in that stand. Are we going to, going to continue to follow Him? Are we for Him or are we against Him? Now notice that when we choose the Lord's side, there is a cost to it. And sometimes it's a very dear cost. You know, when Moses asked his question... There were a number of people that came to him. We we read here the Levites were the ones that responded. They came over to the Lord's side. And, And look at verse 27. All the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. Why? Because of the consequences of their sin. These were a people who had continued to stand against the Lord. Now, we're not told here who it was exactly that were were killed. Very good chance that they were the ones who helped to lead the rebellion against the Lord. We do see there were 3,000 that lost their lives that day. But either way, the people were called to a choice. And the Levites chose the Lord's side, and then they obeyed. There was, there was a cost there in that obedience. Sometimes the cost is just that we've got to leave behind our sin. We can't continue forward with it. Sometimes the cost is that there are other things in our lives, good things that we end up losing You can imagine this type of situation with someone who comes to faith in Christ, they're in a Muslim family. What happens? They profess faith in Christ, they turn to Christ, and the rest of the family says, we're not your family anymore. There's a cost there to be paid. Sometimes it's a heart-wrenching cost. And that's one that's not only there at the beginning of our relationship, but... It continues on. So when we sin, we've got to recognize the seriousness of our sin. We've got to openly confess our sin. And we must hear these words, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. You know, there are going to be things that pull you, that pull me in another direction. There's a strong pull to follow our own way. But there is a sense in which if we have turned to Him truly, by faith, that we can't answer that question in any other way but to come to Him. You remember the, the passage that I read earlier out of uh, John chapter 6, and many of the so-called disciples, this larger group, they had been following Him. But when the, when the going got difficult, when the true testing came, there was a cost that was there, and they weren't willing to to bear that cost. And so, remember what they did? They departed. But then remember how Peter answered on behalf of the Twelve. Remember he, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. In, in Peter's words, notice there is a clinging on to, a holding on to, and a following, regardless of what the cost is. It's a choice that's there before them, but there's a sense in which Peter is saying this choice is not really a choice. Uh, you know, where else shall we go? <laughs> you are the only one because we've come to see who you are. We've come to see what we must have. And we've held onto it and clinged onto it. And we will continue forward with You no matter what the cost is. You've got to ask yourself, where are you with this? When you sinned against the Lord and you know it, and when you see that choice before you that's got to be made, where are you in answering that? There may be something in your life right now that you can think of there's a sin there. I've been meaning to to take care of that. The question is, how do you answer this question of Moses? Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me, uh, Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You've got the words of eternal life. I believed. So the question for each one of us: Have we? Have we believed? You know, we all need a mediator we all need a savior uh, and we have that savior in the Lord Jesus Christ he's the one who went to the cross on our behalf You know, in, in, in our passage that last section there that's what that section is all about we, get, we see a picture of Moses he valiantly tries uh, to step in as the mediator for the people and, and says if you're not going to forgive this people then, then write me out of your book It's a valiant try, but how does the Lord answer that? He simply says, not you, Moses. People must die for their own sin. There's only one mediator that can truly atone for sin. And who is that? That's our substitute. That's the one who has stood in for us and atoned for our sin. It is the Lord Jesus Christ Remember Isaiah 53? says, like a lamb led to the slaughter for us. And it says, the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. You know, what, what a beautiful picture that we do receive forgiveness. A full forgiveness. That He takes care of that. But then not only that, that every day that follows, as we sin, as we turn away from Him, and as we turn back to Him, that He's continually using that in our lives to draw us closer and closer to Him, to purify us more and more, to help us to see Him, to know Him, and therefore to walk in His ways. And so what do we need to do? Therefore, we need to take responsibility for our sin. We need to see the weight of it, and we need to confess it fully before the Lord. And then we need to make that choice to follow Him, to continue with Him, uh, to turn from the sin, to turn to, remember we saw it earlier uh, in our catechism questions, to turn to new obedience, to obey Him because of who He is. That's what the Lord calls us to do and He has provided for it. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You for the gifts that You give us. We thank You for the resources that You give us, that we're not alone in this world. We do recognize our sinful hearts, some of us more than others. We, we see it. It bothers us. We feel the weight of it. Lord, help each one of us here to have a heart to recognize our sin, to see it for what it is, to see You as a holy God, to, 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 to feel the weight of our sin. And help us out of that relationship with you to follow, to cling to, and therefore to turn away from our sin. And Lord, if there are those here who aren't in that relationship, Lord, that's, that's just the first step. And so we pray that that first step would be obvious and that there'd be seen a need to turn and to follow and to cling to the one who is the Savior, the one who Peter said, where else shall I turn? Uh, You have eternal life. Help us to, to each see that, to cling to it, and to follow it. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.